Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll speak this week and next week, and we'll conclude the book of 1 Peter that has thoroughly wrung me out. I told you I didn't want to do it. There's too much suffering. And I want to be a fat cat. And I don't want to suffer. And I want just to tell me about the good times. Let them roll. And Peter says, you can expect suffering if you live for Christ. That's hard to convince people to ever sign up. But those that he saves, he enables to endure whatever comes with it. I want to look at, uh, you need shepherds for troublesome times. You need shepherds for troublesome times. And he's going to give us in the first four verses four things about these shepherds. Their duties, two, their motive, why they should do it. Three, how they should do it, the manner in which they will shepherd. And finally, what their reward will be. But before we do that, let's take this shepherd language uh, that's in the Bible and uh, look at Ezekiel, if you will. Ezekiel 34. When God describes the bad shepherds of Israel, bad shepherds, he called the leaders of Israel shepherds. Uh, or he called them elders, and that's used interchangeably. First Peter, I'm an elder. I'm telling you to shepherd or pastor God's people. But listen to God's description through Ezekiel of the kind of shepherds that were over Israel. Look at chapter 34. Listen to what he says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. End of verse 2. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick, bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched uh, brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. It goes down in verse 7 that the Lord himself is going to become their shepherd. And he says in verse 10, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds, and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Listen to verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Look at verse 15. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. 
I will shepherd the flock with justice. Verse 20. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with horns until you have driven them away. And then God says, I'm going to bring David back to the millennial kingdom. I'm going to bring a true shepherd to Israel. It's full of corrupt men. And this is what had happened in the time of Christ. David wrote when he was being pursued, most likely, by Absalom and fled for his life from the city of Jerusalem down by the Jordan, and his boy is pursuing him to kill him. He said something. Yahweh, my shepherd, I will lack for nothing that a sheep needs. A sheep needs pasture. A sheep needs protection. A sheep needs guidance. A sheep needs to have someone that will go in the shadows. And he's describing all the sheep needs. He's seeing God through a sheep's eyes because he's taking care of sheep. Sheep are a difficult animal. God was not complimenting you when he called you a sheep. We're stubborn. We're nearsighted. We're prone to stray. Uh, and when he talks about the budding sheep, that is what we would call bullying. That the stronger the ewe was, they would butt, and they would butt against lambs, often killing them. They would butt against the lamb's mother. And what were they butting about? Hierarchy, position, power in the flock. To make sheep lie down in green pastures, Philip Keller says in his book on 23rd Psalm, they needed the assurance of four things. Number one, that there was no predator in the field. As long as they thought there was a predatorial threat, they could not lie down. Two, they could not lie down when there was friction in the flock, headbutting, these dominant ewes. I'm going to push my agenda. I'm going to dominate, push, push, push. And so there had to be peace among the flock. Three, they could not lay down if parasites were unattended. It would infect their eyes, give them worms. Uh, ticks would get into their wool. They, they were so miserable, they, they were like a dog scratching for fleas all the time. They'd be standing, stand. they could not lie down. And then they could not lie down if they were searching for food. But David said, my shepherd makes me lie down. He handles my enemies. He kills the things that would kill my soul. He is my protector. And guess what? He provides everything I need to be nourished to serve him. You see, with Yahweh is the shepherd. You've, you've got to, first of all, Peter's going to talk about human elders and shepherds. And we try to match this shepherd. But believe me, we all fall short. But you've got a shepherd whether you've got anyone around here that shepherds you. But we're told to shepherd you. Now go to John 10. John 10. 
Listen to what Jesus did. He gave an address to the Pharisees who were crooks, and the Sadducees were nothing but religious, uh, crooked, greedy men. They, they did not love the people. They loved money. And they were politically in line with Rome, pay off, pay off. It was a wealthy position to be a rabbi at that time. They were a corrupt bunch. And Jesus said, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate or the door, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them. He said, a stranger they will not follow. He says in 7, I am the gate for the sheep. That phrase always bothered me. Uh, but Palestinian shepherds at night, they would lay down at the entrance to the sheepfold. And so anything in it had to jump over the shepherd. And anything that wanted to get in had to go through him. He said, I am the door. I'm the one you've got to go through. Then he says, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Wait. Psalm said, Yahweh's my shepherd. He said, I'm the Yahweh of Psalms 23. He finally showed up. God said he's going to get himself another shepherd for his people. Jesus said, I just want you to know I'm the shepherd. I've shown up. I am Yahweh's shepherd. Watch this. I am the good shepherd in contrast to the bad ones. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Wow. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. You see, the shepherd bought all of his ewes. He bought the flock to start with. He hopes it multiplies, but he's bought it. He's put out the money to purchase the flock. Jesus is saying, guess what? I bought this flock. I only call you a sheep if you know I've purchased you, I own you, and I'm not going to abandon my investment. You're part of my investment at the cross, sheep. I will lay down my life for the... This is not like your eight-to-five job, is it? I don't think you'd lay down your life. You're trying to get out of the place. Hope you live long enough to retire. He said, you don't retire from this. You die for it. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He has no investment. All he wants to do is save his neck if there's danger. That's why they run. Goes on verse 14. I am the good shepherd. Verse 17. The father loves me because I'm willing to lay my, down my life for you. Nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus did not experience cosmic rape is a term used in theology today that God just grabbed his son, going to put him on a cross. said, no, 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 no. From before the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8, I consented to be the lamb. And on the cross, 
Don't think that I cannot get away from you, Pilate. I can call 12 legions of angels to rescue me. I lay down my life. Now, when you've got bad shepherds, the good shepherd, and now God takes a fisherman and turns him into a shepherd. Now, let me tell you the difference between a fisherman and a shepherd. Just for scant knowledge, I'm Fishermen, the last I checked, do not raise what they plan to catch. <laughs> That's profound. You guys didn't even get it. I mean, all they want is, do I have a good hook? Do I have something good to catch it? I need a sharp knife to skin it, and I want it in a skillet tonight. That is how much they're in love with fishing. Now, if you're a great game fisherman, go up to Alaska, go down the river, and they throw them back as quick as they catch them. But it's the sport. You don't raise fish. And God tells the fishermen, if you love me, Peter, I'm going to get you out of the fishing business and teach you to take care of sheep. And boy, this is going to be a different vocational bent. I want to teach you how to rescue sheep. And so, he starts telling us in 1 Peter, you elders, you mature men who are helping to lead the church, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Shepherd a flock of people. What does that mean? Feed them. Lead them. Try to protect them. Uh, pour oil into their wounds and their sores. Uh, this is a thing no seminary can produce. You can't make me love you. You can't make me love you. You can't make me stay. You've never made me stay. I met with John Piper at First Press in Marnock Creek. He was out here doing a series of lectures. It was when Rich Rollins was still here, and we went over to hear him. And we got with him after his presentation, and uh, uh, he, he had a prophetic moment that was amazing to me. We're talking a little bit, and How's your ministry? How's the church? And, you know, pastor talk. And then all of a sudden, he simply said, he said, you're a lifer, aren't you? I said, and, and please, what is that? Life term in prison? There's lifers there, too. No, no, he said, you plan to stay at your church till you die. Well, I said, I don't know where your prophetic gift figured that out. Uh, I don't know. I said, I'm here now. Uh, I mean, you're prophesying. Well, I have to say this. I'm still here because he gave me the place to come and die. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Jesus bids a man come, he bids him to come and die. I've not looked for a bigger church, a better church, nicer people, 
more pay, more this, more that, more that. Because you see, I'm not a professional. I want to be a shepherd, and shepherds die. They die. How do you get a professional burden for people? How do you professionally weep over the strain? How do you professionally uh, care if a man goes to hell or not? We are not professionals. We are men and women set apart by the grace of God to love people on their way to hell and to rescue them and to love them. Now, shepherd my people. Try to lead them. Try to feed them and teach them the word. Teach them what the great shepherd has to say, what he wants his people to know. So that's our duty is to, uh, are you feeding my people? Are you caring for them? Uh, exercise oversight. Now, I don't care what it is. We're crying for leadership. We're crying for somebody to have enough chutzpah. They'll take the responsibility for what we're doing. Everybody wants it to happen. Not many want to take responsibility. That's called leadership. It doesn't mean cooties and you get an encouragement card every week. It means you make hard decisions. Hard decisions. Can we keep the gospel forefront or will we gripe ourselves to death? I mean, I, when I give with church people, they're not all quoting verses. They could be whining about this, complaining. Is the gospel the main thing in this church? Only you know. Is Jesus the main thing? Now, now be honest with yourself now. Well, I didn't like the music. Well, we didn't ask you. How can we, some of you like country, some like blues, some like classical. How can we have the right menu for you every week? Well, I, I'm Gaither fan. Well, good. I grew up on it. But Gaither isn't selling big in California. You got to go to Arkansas. You got to go to South Carolina where they still sing Gaither. You know, it does, am I going to fight with you about it? Am I going to fight over this low down politics? Trump's the guy? I've never seen so many Christians become political experts and they're clueless. Let's quit talking about it in the church, would you? Shut up about it in the church. And, and don't be talking to me about race. Please, there's only one race. And if the potter picks your pigmentation, we better love them as made in the image of God. I didn't pick my color. You didn't pick yours. But I'm not going to devalue you because of your color. Did you hear me? Don't be talking... What the world is going through on racism and skinheads killing blacks and burning black shirts. Friend, we hate it, we hate it, because that's a hate of humanity. If, you don't even need to be a Christian to love people and give them value. Jesus said, when I go to the cross, I will purchase people from every kindred, every tribe, and every tongue. Don't you divide it up or you're in sin. It's sin. Racism is sin. It's a sin. There's no negotiations with it. But we're in God's church. We've been made one people in Christ. So now I said, shepherd my people, give oversight and leadership that will benefit them. Two, what's the motive for doing it? Why? Are you in a racket? Oh, I hear you're a pastor. What's your racket? A guy asked me that one time. 
He said, What's your, he said, you act like a used car salesman. What bothered me is Frank Griffith was in the church and was, and he just walked away. And I just wanted to smack him because he calls the preacher the used, my buddy here is a used car dealer. He, he must have thought I had some racket going. Who wants to take care of God's people? Most of you don't. Most men don't. They want to make money. They want to be liked. They don't like conflict, and you can't lead people without conflict. Are you here? I know you don't have goosebumps, but I'm going to preach the text eventually. You do it. What did he say? You do it not because you must. Oh, isn't how, how much do you pay? You can't buy a man. You can't pay him enough to give him a burden. You can't pay him enough to want to lay down his life for a flock. That's what's happened. We're changing pastors so quick in America. Every two years is the average. That they're all trying to get employment. They forgot about ever staying long enough to be able to love. Because congregations are mean. They're not led by the Spirit. And so are preachers crooked if they're not motivated right. It's a dangerous place if God's not in charge. They'll soon be a gangster as a crooked preacher. Had a man one time accuse me of stealing. Thank God my brother David knew the story. $150 worth. Had to go before the board and defend myself. And I was really getting mad at the idea that I had to go defend myself. And the Lord spoke to me several words. Said, Don't get too haughty. You used to be a thief. <laughs> uh, okay. Stole my ball gloves. Stole a lot of stuff. I learned it from Dave. And, uh, and then, uh, so when I go in there and he lays out this scenario, I finally told the men, I said, men, if I want to give up my integrity and give up this church, I want to go for some big money. $150 not worth spitting at. Let, let's really rob something big. The man repented and was whatever. Where did I get on that point? Uh, <laughs> motives. Being willing. Oh, I know. He's not in it for base or sinful gain. Money is not the driving force, and he will not compromise for money. It's a great pre pr great pressure uh, if you grew up in the circles I grew up in where men were in poor churches small churches poor pay her uncle started pastoring his church $5,000 a year her father resented me for at least 45 years because he said I grew up in a poor preacher's home I didn't want my daughter to marry a poor low down preacher I want somebody to take care of her But just before he died, he said he liked me. So that was a bonus. Right? I'm not making this stuff up. She's here. Uh, what manner of ministry should elder shepherds manifest? 
not lording it over the flock. It's, it's tough to have authority to lead and not to be an autocratic, dominating marine sergeant. How do you lead sheep that can be stubborn, nearsighted, not know what to do maybe, and maybe then they resent, they could resent any kind of leadership, whatever. But he says, I don't want you to act as a Lord over my people. And the reminder is, God takes mere sheep, men that he turns into elders, and wants to turn them into shepherds. But you must always know you don't own the flock. I have no blood invested in you. He does. And so he says, uh, I guess it'd be about like this. Uh, I'm taking my wife to dinner, and we got you to babysit. The girls are, let's see, at this time, the girls, one's eight, one's five, one's three. Uh, would, you, would you just not be harsh, mean, dominating, and uh, run over them? But you've got some of the meanest kids we've ever met. Just record the offenses, and I'll deal with them when I get home. But I don't want you to. Now, if they're tying you up, you can fight back. <laughs> what do you think of Jesus saying, I'm going away for 2,000 years, and I'm going to leave my people in the hands of some mere fallen men? Peter being the primary leader. His credential was, I fail miserably. But he still wants me to take care of his people. I read a fascinating thing in uh, Keller's book. Talked about cast down sheep. Have you ever heard that term? Cast down? David said, why art thou cast down, O my soul? In Englishman's shepherd language, Philip Keller tells us, that cast down was referenced to cast down sheep. They would call them, they are cast. And what a cast sheep was, is if that sheep was heavy in wool or was pregnant with a lamb, they would often eat their food and they would go and they would search out like uh, sunken places in the soil so they could maybe get out of the wind or just comfortable. But when they would lie there, while they're digesting this uh, food in the rumen, they call it, R-U-M-E-N, and I, I assume that's the whole digestive tract of the uh, sheep. While they were laying there, gases would build up in the animal, and to get comfortable, they would lay on their side. But doing that, if they were with a lamb, or if the wool was heavy, it they would try to get back over, and when they would do it, they would overcompensate, and they'd wind up flat on their back, all four feet in the air. They called that a cast sheep. He said, I've lost nine in one day. He said, every day, we had to count all the sheep, go around the whole, he raised sheep in South Africa. And he said, we'd have to check the flock. He said, have my boy, we'd go check and look for a cast sheep. If it was hot weather, they last maybe four hours. If it was cold weather, they may last two days. And all you had to do is get it, and you had to raise it up, because when they're down, their circulation would get caught off in their legs, 
and they're kicking, they're maybe making some sound, they're exhausted. They needed another to set them up. When you've been cast down, who's raised you up? Have you ever been swept and you were on your back and you didn't know how to get back up? That's what shepherding included. So part of our job around here is if you are downcast, if you'll let us know, we'd love to come over with the shepherd's rod and some way try to set you back up on your feet. You did chase a silly situation. Chase a silly woman, and you were more silly. Chase this sin. Chase that. Got mad. Got discouraged. Got this. But, hey, are you walking? No, I'm not walking. I can't go anywhere. I'm, I'm on my back. I'm cast down. I need a shepherd. And one of the ways they knew if one was cast is the vultures would begin to fly around. And that was always the sign to the shepherd, one of your sheep are cast. And they would go. We definitely need the help of shepherds in our Christian life. Men, and even women who take care of women, that will help straighten up the downcast and put them back on their feet. He said, be sure you do that. And instead of dominating the flock, here's your credential. Prove to be an example. Think of this. We've got five elders now. We've had more. We've had less. We have five now, 18 deacons. 23 men. Uh, just think, is there any man around this church that's an example of the good shepherd three ways in the gospels that Jesus said he was our example John 13 when he stooped to wash Peter's feet he said I've left you an example I want you to follow I call that stooping service he stooped to serve would you are you a stooping servant I want to be Howard Hendricks rebuked me one time. I was talking to him about Herman. I needed direction. I needed help. And uh, he said, you know what, Howard? You got a problem. I said, well, boy, you and my wife agree. <laughs> and and he, he said, here's your problem. I said, what's that? Because I'd had him as a prop. He said, you want to do it all. You want to do it all. I said, well, if it's for Jesus, why not? I don't mind picking up chairs if it's for Jesus, right? He said, yeah, but a hundred men can fold chairs. Only one of you can preach. If you keep giving yourself to everything, you won't ever do the one thing God called you to do, preach and teach. People in the early days always coming to me, what ought to happen? What ought to be done? And I said, and you're volunteering? Are you kidding? I only see needs. I don't meet them. Oh, okay, just wanted to know. You got to be willing to follow Jesus in stooping service. He said in 1 Peter 2.24, I'm your example for how to suffer. Though he was reviled, he reviled not again, but kept entrusting himself 
to his father. So when you're suffering, Jesus is your model. And now Peter is saying, if you want men, your shepherds, your elders, you know what? Ask them this. You're a model of Jesus, or you could look like a bad shepherd. What kind of shepherd are you? We're watching. Because the people will act like the people who lead them. They will act like those that give oversight. If we're fussing, if we're cantankerous men, if we're autocrats, if we're domineering, we will have a bitter, resentful flock because you can't dominate people without resentment. But if you'll lay down your life for them, if you'll emulate Jesus, I want to have the Jesus style of pastoring. He's good enough for me. If I could only treat you like he treats me, oh my, what a, I would long to be that kind of a shepherd. And then he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And who is he saying this to? Can't hear you. What does the text say? Who's he talking to? Joe's pool hall? The, the elders. The elders. So every elder in our church ought to be convicted immediately. Are you this, are, are we doing this? Are we motivated this way? What's our style of leading? Would we lay down any of our life? They prayed and met with me for three hours last night. And poor Tilly wondered, said, did you remember our date? And so... We all prayed for Edwin as he went home that she would be tamed. Uh, you know, they give up time all the time. Deacons do the same. We have people giving up hours every week to help you in this flock. How do you think we pulled off vacation Bible school? How many volunteers did we have? About 200. I mean, people were all over this place. Thank you, servants. Thank you, stupers. Thank you for taking time for an eight-year-old. Thank you. I think God's got a reward for you. He tells these shepherds, many of who served at no fee, they just did good to survive with their life. He said, I'm going to reward you. Look at Second Peter 1, and I close with this. Look at 1.11. 2 Peter 1.11. I'll pick up at verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. If you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know what this was used of? If you won at the Olympics and you went back to the hometown you came from in Greece, they would cut out a new place in the wall that was dedicated to your name. That's how they celebrated a victor at the Olympics. And this is the language Peter said, God is going to throw open the gates when you come. This is for all of his people. Now he's telling Peter, tell the elders, if you do the job like I tell you, I have a specific crown and reward I will give you when you come into the city.
You may have been paid little down here. You may have been accused. You might have been run off. You may have been whatever. So much church trouble throughout the world. When I was in South Carolina, I was meeting with some different pastors. Church troubles, church confusion, preachers coming and going, heartbreak, pain. The people weren't gaining and neither was the preacher. They just decided to split. And I asked the guy, why did you split? He said, have you ever heard of sin? Sin divides. Sin breaks unity. Sin, my way, not your way. Sin. And uh, we just talked. What are you going to do now? You're out of a job. There's a story that uh, Durham wrote a biography, which I love. It's the story of Robert Manry, who grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, he was 46 years old. And uh, he went out and purchased a 13 and a half feet dilapidated boat. He repaired the boat, christened it Tinkerbell, and learned to sail. June 1st, 1965, he set sail from Falmouth, Massachusetts, and is going to go to Falmouth, England. He starts the journey. It took him 78 days, many of them cold, wet, and painful, hit by storms, confused by hallucinations of hitchhikers and assassins, washed overboard, delayed by winds that were too great and becalmed by lack of wind at all, plagued by loneliness and troubled by saltwater sores, he kept sailing. Many expected, or Manry expected to sail into Falmouth, wire his wife to come to his side and that he would put the vessel and he would fly it back to the United States come home with his wife and just say, I completed a dream of a lifetime. But as he uh, was coming down the estuary in Falmouth, word had gone out of this incredible solo sailing and 13 feet boat. It had gone throughout England and he said, as he was coming down the estuary, Shackleton bombers from the Royal Air Force were flying overhead. Newspaper teams were all over the place. At the last mile, boats, a flotilla of boats, Royal Navy helicopters, hundreds of people, over 50,000 people showed up to say welcome to Falmouth. People were everywhere, standing along the shore, perched in window ledges, leaning out of doorways, crowded into jetties, thronging the streets, clinging to trees, cramming the inner harbor in boats. I heard that 50,000 people were there. I was dumbfounded. I just wanted to sneak into town and get out. And I came in St. Stythian Silver Band played the Star Spangled Banner and the Stars and Stripes Forever. 
I'm reminded of the classic story. It's been told so much that it may bore you, but it is captures the idea for sure. That when the man and his wife went to Africa and he buried several children there and found, finally buried her and after nearly 30 years of service, he thought he would come back to America. So he's making the Atlantic voyage, comes into New York Harbor, and when he did, the place was lit. There were bands, there was boats in the harbor, there was fanfare and everything. And he said he was overwhelmed that he would be given such a welcome home. Only as it was finally docked did he realize that Theodore Roosevelt was on board <laughs> coming back from an African safari and that all the hoopla was for him. And so the missionary with a suitcase, all he had. He walks in New York City, finds out where the YMCA is so he can get a room for the night. Qu quite distraught that there was nobody at the dock for him. There was neither family nor friends, just him. He said when he went to that room, he knelt down in discouragement and uh, disappointment and uh, he just told the Lord Lord is this all I get I've given the last 30 to 35 years of my life why couldn't someone have been at the dock he said God spoke to his heart in that moment and said you see you're not home yet Wait till you get home. I'll make it up to you. And I would like to say to every poor missionary, every poor pastor, every poor Christian worker, every rescue mission worker, every one of you that's ever made a sacrifice for the cause of Christ, wait till you get home. Wait till you get home. There will be no disappointments. There's a crown specifically for taking care of God's people. There's other crowns for evangelism, Philippians 2. There's five crowns. Look it up. I just ask, there would be no crown for griping. There'd be no crown for complaining. There'd be no crown for being stingy. There'd be no crown for being passive and say, take care of me. No, no. You know what? We have more than shepherds in the body. We have gifted people. Every one of us are to build up the body. We have some set aside to do specific work. We need all of you. Are you available? See, people say, where are all the elders? Where's the new ones? Well, it's one thing to have character and even have ability, but you've got to be available. And what we got is a whole lot of men in this church just ain't available. And we're supposed to staff and build it. And when we don't have extra cash... We're looking for somebody who says, would you do it for Jesus? Would you do it for Jesus? Virginia Hubbard told me years ago, I believe it was Virginia, 
when they saw the missionaries at the leprosarium and a newspaper guy said, I wouldn't do what you do for a million bucks. And the woman's reply was, and neither would I, but I would do it for my Savior. What would you do for Jesus you wouldn't do for anybody else? And I would like to say this to you. If you're here without a shepherd today and your soul is famished, you can't find anything to quench the hunger and thirst of your heart. You can't find anyone to pour oil into your wounds. You can't find anyone to set you up when you're cast down. I invite you to invite Jesus to be your shepherd. He would love for you to come into his flock. You must enter through him. He's the door. You can't get, there's a thousand ways you can go to hell, but only one way you can go to heaven. A thousand ways you can go to hell. One way to heaven. I am the door. Come. I say to you, come. I know you're weary. I know you're thirsty. I know you're starving. I know you're blind. I know the world's wells have been poisoned and you're trying to drink from them. I say, come to me and I'll give you life. I'll give you living water. I'll give you the care of the Jehovah's shepherd that I am. Come, come. What keeps you from coming? What keeps you from coming? Would you rather be lost than to come? Would you rather be starved than come? Jesus said, to Israel, I stood with my arm outstretched all day long to a stubborn people. He's saying, come. I'll shepherd you all the way from earth to the gates of heaven. You just need me. If you're here and you're without a shepherd, I'm going to pray and you ought to pray at that time. Lord Jesus, be my shepherd. I want to, only you would give your life for me. I take you. I enter by him. I, not Mohammed won't get you there. Buddha won't get you there. New Age won't get you there. LSD won't get you there. Sex won't get you there. Money won't get you there. He is the door to heaven. Christ and Christ alone. Only he can save. Our Father, I pray for that soul that's here without a shepherd. And... Uh, they keep getting in the wrong field because they can't see the path. They're blind in their sin, like all of us were. Save, Lord. I pray, keep Valley thinking about Jesus, promoting him, and we're going to trust you to grow this church to be whatever size you want, whatever duration you want. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you and feels famished and lost, only Jesus would leave the 90 and 9 to come down to save that person. You may just be one lost person in this congregation, but Jesus said you were worth it. He'd go to the cross just for you. He's done it. Why don't you come to him? Come. Come. Before he will finally say, depart from me. I never knew you. Come while you can. Receive a wonderful, wonderful shepherd for the rest of your life. I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.